As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen I'm never quitting on my mission, I'ma roll with what I'm giving Got some ambition, this new edition, filling positions Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing Better watch the way you going, better go in the right direction In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings And I know that for certain, keep on working, open curtains Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version I'm never gon' give up, give up Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah Cause this is my road Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for showing up this morning. Um, really appreciate you taking the time to participate in this show. Um, my name is Gary Tinney. I'm a retired firefighter from uh, New Haven, Connecticut, and I'm sitting in for Tom Ficklin. And this morning's topic will be race and gender challenges in the fire service. Um, so first, and first, I'd just like to thank Tom Ficklin and everyone for allowing us to. Uh, take this opportunity to share some of our views pertaining to the fire service and the challenges around gender and race. Um, that being said, first and foremost, I would like everyone to introduce themselves. We'll start with uh, Sister Christy. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Christy Free. I've been in the fire service for 17 years now. And you're from, uh, Sister Christie's from Trenton, New Jersey. That is correct, sir. All right. And then next, we're just going to go to uh, Brother Harris. We're going to go to you last because everybody else is uh, our sisters from the fire service. Uh, next, I'm going to go to Ina Anderson. Hello, everyone. My name is Ina Anderson. I'm a retired fire lieutenant with the city of Bridgeport. Um, I guess that's it. All right, and Serena. Hi, all. There you um, go. I'm Serena Sarisical. I work for the FDNY New York City. I'm the first Asian woman firefighter in New York City, and I'm the former president of the United Women Firefighters. Well, thank you. And a lieutenant, too. <laughs> all right, and then we have. Sister Forrest, Italian chief out of Philadelphia. You're on mute. There you go. I was waiting till you finish. I didn't want to interrupt you. <laughs> Hello, everyone. My name is Lisa Forrest. I'm a battalion chief in the Philadelphia Fire Department. I've been with the department for 18 years. Two years as a battalion chief recently celebrated on September 29th. Uh, thank you. And also, I am the president of Club Valiance which is a chapter of the International Association of Black Professional Firefighters. I am the first female president of that organization. And I'm happy to be here to you know, talk with you on this topic that is so near and dear to my heart. Well, thank you, uh, Chief Forrest. I, uh, next, I would like to introduce um, Brother Harris, Steve Harris. Good morning, sisters, brother. Uh, again, Steve Harris, I'm a retired Hartford fire captain. Did 27 years on the job, been off the job for 25 years. I was instrumental in, in helping to bring Hartford's first two female firefighters onto the job. Uh, it's been a long journey. And I'm here because I'm interested to hear what your stories are and uh, hope to learn something. So. That's it for me. 
Well, again, thanks again, everybody taking the time to uh, share some of your uh, views this morning. So first, I'm, my first question is gonna be, uh, approximately how many females are employed by your department? You know, what percentage um, you may have? We'll start out with the FDMY. So um, when I started um, on the job in 2005, there were 30 of us out of um, like over 10,000, like 10,500 at the time. Um, the first women came on the job in 1982 in New York City. Uh, There's 41 of them. It took 10 years to hire the next woman after that group um, due to a lack of programming, a uh, lack of uh, recruiting and a lack of care. And just the first women got brutalized, you know, with their treatment was so poor. So it took 10 years. And then we only had four women in the nineties who got hired. And uh, my group in the early 2000s, there were uh, a bit more, maybe around 20. Uh, but, you know, uh, a lot of the retired women retired. So by the time I got there, it was 30. When I applied, it was 25. I think that was the lowest the city ever had. And um, through a lot of um, work on the behalf of the United Women Firefighters, we do our own training program for women firefighter candidates. It's run year round through those efforts and other efforts in removing barriers, we're now at 137, which is like a record. It's kind of sad because um, it's a uh, 1.25%, but we never thought we would get to 1% like historically because of the slow movement. So since 2013, 115 women got hired. So. Those of us with time on the job, there's very few of us. Um, most of them are younger women. So, um, you know, what the fire department, my fire department lacked was, you know, this large hiring of women, this large influx, there was nothing done to prepare the department for that. And a lot of these women are, as a lot of the women here know that feeling of being the first or the only woman in your firehouse. And these are young women in their early 20s. And it's just, you know, good luck. You know, there's nothing mm -hmm. done to support them. So right now we have an issue where there's a lot of women who are offline or transferred firehouses due to harassment. So mm -hmm. although the numbers look better than it was before, the issues still remain the same and you still have to fight, you know, for our rights. Mm -hmm. So, Serena, I'm just, uh, I mean, uh, you know, I've spoken to several of our members throughout the country and females specifically, especially uh, pertaining to harassment. Right. And the listening audience, I don't think they realize, you know, you have to deal with as a female, a female of color, a female, and then you have to deal with discrimination and all these other things, you, you know, with the gender issues. And I mean, people don't realize you go into a, yeah, a firehouse and there's not a female bathroom. I mean, people just take for granted and think and assume that those things are there. Here we are in 2022 and we act like we're surprised. But that being said, again, this is important because folks just don't know. And like you had hit on something, you mentioned that there's a lot of new female firefighters. And I think one of our, our uh, challenges is to make sure that they can survive through the nonsense throughout the years, just to 
let them know. Don't be afraid to tap into, you know, you, you've seen your folks that, that, that know the business and, and survived it. Um, so that being said, thank you for that information. Next, I would like to talk to, speak to um, uh, Sister Forrest. Yes. So nope. in Philadelphia Fire Department, we have roughly around 2,700 members and of that 2,700, we have about 12% that are women, but it's smoke and mirrors. Um, well, first we have fire and EMS together. Um, I wanna clear that up. I know some departments only do fire. We do fire and EMS. So that 2,700 includes EMS personnel and that 12% of women also includes the women in fire and EMS. But what is being done in our department, if you are a civilian employee that works for the fire department, they're counting you in that number, which in my opinion is, is, not, is not right because it's not accurate. Uniform personnel is different from civilian, although we work together. Um, we are different and we face different challenges. And I think because of that, some things have not changed because you have some people that are in position that are non-uniform that don't understand what it is to be in a firehouse, how it is to be in a firehouse. One of the issues now is you have women that are now having children on the job and they are lactating mothers. Now we all know when the call goes we have to go but what happens to the mother that wants to breastfeed her baby but at the same time want to be on the fire truck or in the medic unit so yes in 2022 with more women we're seeing more things come up and I don't believe that we are addressing the problems as we should I came on back in 2003, and I had both of my children on this job. And there, I had my daughter in 2008 and my son in 2019. And the sad thing about it is me being a mother on this job, I don't see a change. And I do the best that I can. Gary, you say it to, to me all the time and I, I steal your quote, but I do give you credit for it. If you don't have a seat at the table, you're on the menu. However, I feel that as a woman and as a woman of color, I'm just one person fighting against many. So, and fighting against many, I become the hated one. Although I'm okay with that because I have a family that loves me. So I'm not looking for validation anywhere else, but we don't have enough women or advocates for women or people of color, the BIPOC community to stand up and say, hey, listen, things have to change. So I say it again, I'm here because I want to bring these things to light and hope that you know, we could do something to to change it because this is not exclusive in Philadelphia. It's everywhere. Every it's same script is just a different cast. So I, I'm mm -hmm. here to, you know, talk about whatever we can to to change things in 2022 and and beyond. Thank so you. So what, what 
would you say to some of these young female firefighters, and not just young, but the female firefighters coming on who are afraid to speak to some of these challenges because of, uh, you know, retaliation? I think Serena, Serena hit on it as far as transferring folks, and we all know what that's all about. But um, what would you say to some of these younger folks that, you know, if I, when I speak to, if I come across them, I might say, you really need to connect with some of, you know, the females that are not just locally, but nationally. And then they say, no, I'm good. You know, I'm good. Um, and then three years later, it, you know, it changes. They wait, you know, they, they're, they're, they're exposed to some of this mess. And, um, and it's just a challenge trying to get them to, you know, come to the room. So I thought, again, this is important to have this dialogue. And you see, I, uh, you know, we have folks that are retired who are active. So we can come up with some kind of solution to it. Um, so that being said, I, let's, uh, I like to go to uh, Sister Anderson. Um, wow. Hey, Lisa, Lisa, how you doing? Um, so I came on the job in 1994. I came as the first black female firefighter and um, the department size, Bridgeport is not a large department. It was at the time probably 389, which is the maximum size of the department. At the time I came on, it were probably maybe three other women, um, me being the first of color. Um, after that, um, to date, there's still probably only eight to 10 women, which is not even 1% of the department. Um, when it comes to, one of the things that I had, well, there was two things. When I came on the job, I was already 34 years old when I started working in fire service. Um, so I came with a knowledge of, of work environment already which was to my benefit um, because there were some things that I just, uh, and I had already worked in an all-male environment and working with optics, um, which kind of prepared the soil, prepared the ground for me to go. So I had a, uh, I had a different kind of demeanor, right? When you're young, you go on a job, 18, 19, 21 years old, um, that, that sense of why we go to work and what you're expecting when you're at work, um, particularly in the fire service. Fire service is just a different culture. It's a beast. And um, when it comes to uh, the mindset of those that you work with, uh, you have to know that in the end, I'm, I, was, I wasn't ever trying to be a guy. I'm gonna be who I be, but I was tough as any guy. And, and, and we just made it cut and dry like that because um, I'm thankful for the brothers that I had working on the job. Most of them, um, the men, it kind of knew, you know, like that one there, just, just don't bother her. Um, and, and I was appreciative of that because besides them, it was just this thing I had learned from one of the sisters uh, from Jackie uh, in, um, out of Newark before she retired. One of the things she told me, she was like, you don't have to, you don't, you don't have to bar with them. You just find ways to get even. 
and you do it on your off days, you know? So she would be like, you know, you're going on vacation, but you cut up frozen fish and it'll thaw, you know, just stuff like, <laughs> just stuff like that. And, um, and so I was never afraid to say what needed to be said um, but I, I credit a lot of that to just my maturity at the time of going in on a job. And the other thing was, was camaraderie. I didn't get camaraderie on the job. Those females that were there, um, they, they didn't know how to deal with me. And like you say, I'm not there for popularity, so I didn't care. Um, but once I got connected to uh, women in the fire service, and black women in the fire service, I was able to glean my strength from them, to listen to the stories, to have someone to talk to, see what they were doing, you know, what was going on in their departments. So mentorship is important. And, um, and to try not to go at this thing alone, because it's, it's a beast. And I'm surprised. No, I'm not surprised. Um, I'm surprised at the numbers actually kind of seem like they have plateaued or there's still so many places in the United States where the first is just now coming, you know? So um, we just keep trying to figure out ways of recruitment. Um, we know that recruitment is for minorities and for women. Um, and if we don't know, we ought to know. White boys are always gonna know where the job is. You have to make a special effort to get women um, to, to be able to show them and tell them what the benefits of being on this job is. But it's not for every woman, um, but for those of us who have maintained, have gone through the process, have hung in there, um, I think that we find solace in being able to talk to one another from wherever we are across the country. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that, those remarks. Um, so next, I'd like to uh, bring up Sister Christy from Trenton, New Jersey. Uh, good, good morning, morning. everyone. Um, as far as we have, a hundred and forty, I think all together, including the chiefs, I think we have a hundred and forty people. And out of the 140, we only have seven female firefighters that are actively working right now. Uh, we have two Latinos, we have two Caucasians and three African-Americans. Um, When's the last time you hired an African-American female? Uh, about three, three years ago, about three years. So what do you think are some of the major challenges? Is, is it, is it uh, recruitment, um, the resources? Um, is I, I think what it is, and uh, this is just a lot of, a lot of women, um, or I should say young ladies, they feel they lose their femininity if they get this job. Whereas, um, like for me, I'm, I'm like Miss Ina. I was, I, I worked amongst men before this job because I was doing construction. So I already knew how it was gonna go. Um, 
But I think with a lot of women, uh, you could tell them, but then when they find out that they have to run into the burning buildings and, um, you know, things that do different things that they're, they're, I guess you could say their bodies are not accustomed to, that um, they, they tend to lose, uh, lose the interest, I should say. Some of them will say they'll take the test, but when you when you um, when you do the the, uh, the thing to prepare for taking the test, a lot of them don't show up. So the ones that I have talked to said they were coming, but they never showed up. So um, and then when they do see me, <laughs> when they do see me, they they cross the street. They, <laughs> they so I'm like. Have a nice day. So that just lets me know you're not interested. So I'm not going to really pursue or force you to do something that you are not willing to do for yourself. Because a lot of people, they say they look at the salary, they say the salary's good. But then when you explain to them what you're going to have to do as far as uh, the academy and the, the running and the work, the running and the working out and your first year on the job of carrying the high rise pack and things of that sort, they, you know, when they find out how heavy everything is, they, they tend to not want to do it. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, my next question, I don't know anybody can chime in on this one. What are your concerns pertaining to CPAP? That's physical agility uh, uh, exam. Um, entry-level requirements. Um, what's your take on that? I'll go. I was trying, oh, I was trying to ahead. unmute. Okay. okay, go ahead, Lisa, I'm sorry, go ahead. No. So in Philadelphia, we do not do the CPAD. It's, it's so many things involved, like you have to have practice um, prior to doing CPAD and it costs, a lot of money to do CPAT in a city. Our, um, we're like one of the poorest cities in the United States. So to even ask the citizens to fund that would be like pulling teeth. But for one class, I operated as the skills proficiency uh, instructor. So pretty much it was on the same lines as the CPAT. And one of the things that I realized too, it don't matter if you're a woman or you're a male. If you didn't do anything like this before, you're not prepared to do this. It, does, it doesn't have male on it, doesn't have female on it. And our academy is nine months. So for nine months, a couple times, Throughout those nine months, you did something equivalent to CPAT. So with you giving people a couple of times to do something that we take months to prepare somebody is more realistic. And then let's look at who developed CPAT. Who do they have sitting on a board to even come up with the criteria for this? Now, I know I'm small, you can't tell by, you know, listening to me or seeing me on Zoom. I'm 4'10 and about 111 pounds now. 
And like it used to be 103, but a couple kids later that <laughs> I'm more than I'm more than that. But that's how I came on this job. And although I had a brief military background, I was not prepared for that. And if CPAT would have existed in the Philadelphia Fire Department, there would be no Lisa Forrest in the Philadelphia Fire Department. So I think that a lot of times you are eliminating good talent. Sometimes people just need a little bit more work. I came in every morning and uh, early before the academy and I stayed late to practice to get better at what I did. So if you're just putting somebody in the box to say, if you can't do this right now, it doesn't show that you're a good firefighter. I know other departments that have CPAT and then they get members on a job. And when it's time to do the real thing, hmm, can't do it. So is that <laughs> test a really a real measure of your real ability to be a great firefighter? So I, I'm me personally, I'm against it because I don't think it really defines if you can do this job. You you can't teach hard. You know, hard hard is something that you you grow in. You know, your heart can get bigger. You know, based on your experiences. But that CPAT, in in my opinion, it is designed to eliminate a lot of us, especially because the people of color, we're not, you know, multiple generation uh, firefighters. So we're not volunteer firefighters. So we don't have that exposure, whereas some other folks that come in already knowing what this thing is about. And, you know, I'm sorry for, you know, taking up a lot of time, but I'm real passionate about that. And, you know, the roadblocks that are, in the uh, that are being put in the way to keep us from being on this job. Thank you, thank you, Lisa. I uh, I have uh, I met with some city officials three weeks ago, and that issue came up. So I said to one of the fire chiefs, I said, "Well, if it's so important that folks have that CPAT certification, I said, won't I said, won't you uh, administer that test every year to the whole department to make sure people are, you know, are in shape or they can pass it." I said, if it's so important to entry level, then we need to make sure that folks on the line can are capable of doing the same thing. I said, so I'm sure you know how that conversation went. Oh, I'll talk to the union. Yeah, you talk to the union, but we know what the union's going to say. Um, again, you you hit on so many um, important uh, issues pertaining to CPAP, and, and you know, I know folks that are going to Florida, Chicago, all over, traveling to get this certification. They're already struggling financially. And, uh, and that same department currently doesn't have any females on the department. Never hired an Asian female firefighter, never hired an African-American firefighter. So that speaks to the lack of, uh, if you really wanna make change and be inclusive, then you can do it. Especially when you have a city that's, the city I'm talking about is over 50% females. So I, we just have to do, uh, you know, all of us have to just be aware of these obstacles and the things that are happening in the way systemically how they're excluding, you know, females in the fire service. And they're losing, like you said, they're losing a great opportunity to tap into some phenomenal talent. Um, that being said, I know Sister Anderson wanted to kind of say something. I'm just going to ditto Chief uh, Forrest. Um, 
I didn't have to do a CPAC, um, but what I did was uh, equivalent to it. Um, I think it's unnecessary. I think that uh, it's another roadblock to keep us out. Um, I think that uh, you can teach anybody anything if they want to learn it, right? And you don't have to create a system. It's almost like when you get good at something, ah, let me throw another thing in there uh, to trip you up, you know, um, to keep the next one from coming on there. Bridgeport uh, took on doing CPATs about, I think in 2008 or 2010. And it took them 10 years before they got the next female on a job. Um, it, it's not designed to help. It's not designed to help people of color. If you're not a person that is in physical, uh, you know, that you're physically fit, even if you are, the, the likelihood of you passing that test first go round is unlikely. Um, I agree that uh, if you're gonna give a test like CPAT, then make it mandated that every firefighter on the job can still pass that test make it a yearly thing. And, and because you say that, like you said, it shuts everything down because they're not going to do that. Gary, can I add that I never went to somebody's house. I have some saves in my career and I never went to anybody's house and they said, do you, are you CPAT? Did you do CPAT? All they want to know is that you can save their lives. They ain't worried about if you can pass the CPAT test. So I just wanted to add that part. Um, we have one more guest that just signed in, uh, Sister Daniels out of New York. Um, please introduce yourself. Good morning, everyone. Thank you guys for your patience. My name is Firefighter Anita Daniel. Um, I work, I've worked in Engine 234 out in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, New York with the FDNY. Thank you guys for having me today. Mm -hmm. And Sister Daniels, how long have you been on the department? I've been with the department for about eight, a little over eight years now. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what would you say if you had to prioritize some of your major challenges, what would you rank number one and two? <laughs> major challenges, the only challenge has, has been um, um, individuals who want to hold on to the traditions of their, their fathers and grandfathers. It's the only mm -hmm. challenge I've had. Yeah, because I... Uh, you know, I've read just recently over the last you know, last few years, though, the same things we, we talked about before you signed on harassment yes. and talking about being a female in the department and having to deal with, you know, race, gender, uh, you know, sexual harassment, you name it. Um, exactly. It's, it's uh, again, it's it's, it's just it's something that uh, folks don't realize that the the stress um, you know, and then when you bring these issues to the table and you make the, the necessary complaints, you know, you're ignored. You're, you're made the bad person, but you're supposed to sit back and accept this type of treatment from your so-called superiors. Exactly. Um, you're just ostracized. You're isolated. Um, you're seen as the problem that needs to be fixed. And the people who are doing the victimizing, they're seen as champions, they're seen as, oh, he's he's a good guy. It was just a one-time thing. Maybe, you know, the victim should leave the house or should leave that fire mm -hmm. <laughs> facility mm -hmm. and the, the victimized, the victimizer uh, should stay. 
and be able to work overtime and be able to continue living his life as if nothing happened. While the victimized person, like you said, stress, it's a huge part of the department. And, you know, not only are we battling these people in the field, but we have complete lives at home. We still have to go home. We still have to cook. We still have to take care of our babies, take care of our partners, take care of our families and be victimized and still work for a department that has that ha that does not have our best interests at heart. It's it's mentally exhausting. It's definitely mentally exhausting. It's a roller coaster. Okay, thank you. Um, you know, of course, uh, there's several uh, across the country, there's several lawsuits that are being filed across the country pertaining to the same issue. And uh, unfortunately, litigation is the only thing they seem not, not so much understand, but they have to kind of pay attention to what they're doing. Uh, um, I don't know if you guys are aware of the lawsuit in New York, it costs New York over $100 million. Um, and uh, this was filed by the IAB, by the Volkman Society of New York. And still, this, this lawsuit still being in place, it appears that folks are still just ignoring um, the obvious. And I, I just, we have to find a way how to get, you know, it seems like folks are ignoring this issue until it hits home. And as a retired African-American male firefighter, um, being raised by three sisters, uh, it's unacceptable for any of us to sit in that firehouse and allow um, uh, or any of our sisters to be treated unfairly and to take a stand and make sure that that doesn't happen. And we've seen how uh, important that is, especially pertaining to you know, fire and police. If you don't have folks from the community you serve and they haven't been exposed to diverse backgrounds and, and uh, it's a challenge. You can't just take and put somebody and give them a badge and a gun or a badge and put them in a community, a diverse community and expect them to, to act right, because some of them don't know how and don't care to know. Um, that being said, I think it's incumbent upon us to, to join together and expose their wrongs so that we can you know, kind of make it better for the rest of us. Um, that being said, I just would like uh, Brother Harris, um, and I invited Brother Harris, he's a great elder. He's, he's uh, you know, you talk about hands on the ground, being part of the community, he's, that, he's the go-to guy, and that's who I go to. So I thought it was important to have him listen to these, this, you know, because we talk about these things, but we have to find a better, we have to strategically find a way to hold these folks accountable for their behavior. Brother Harris? You know, it's, it's, it's painful. It's painful for me to sit here and listen to what you guys go through, in some cases continue to go through. I came into the Hoffa Fire Department in 1970, fresh out of Vietnam. There were no female firefighters. It wasn't until Zandra Clay. I used to go down to help do the testing. The CPAC stuff, those are nothing more than barriers to, to employment. And we have to recognize that. They're set up to fail us. Because to the chief's point, don't buy, I remember rolling up on scene, no one ever asked me how I passed the CPAC test. But getting back to, 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 to you guys' struggle, let me say this, that I think what, what upsets me the most, and even today, still, here in Hartford, is the fact that, and again, I've been off the job now for 25 years. 
but I'm very active in the Phoenix Society. And right now, I, I and, and again, I'm guessing that like 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 sister, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Anderson from Bridgeport. Our department's only about three, three seventy, three eighty right now. But I doubt if we have a dozen females on the job, of which five maybe five are probably sisters. But the thing that 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 annoys me and upsets me is that when I first spotted Zandra at the physical portion of her of her test, uh, myself and, and and former fire chief. John Stewart and former farmer fire chief uh, uh, Nelson Carter informed me that we had a sister coming through, and and to make sure that you know she would look out for it down at the at the uh, physical portion. And Zandra was one of those determined, and you could see it. I mean, the first time I met her, she had that fire, and she understood what was what folks was trying to do to keep her from achieving the, the, the position of firefighter. And I say that to say this, that throughout Zandra's career, there was guys like myself and others who, who took it on, on ourselves to tell people, we got to get by this sister, we got to back her up, and we got to see her through. But what I found is that sometimes, and one of you other sisters said this, and it's so true, I think the young sister from New York, that, you know, you get in those firehouses, I remember a chief told me I took a job from probably his grandson when I came on, you know, <laughs> like, I, I got your grandson's job. No, I got this job because obviously I was better than your grandson and kept it moving. But, um, you know, females catch it from them. And honestly, they catch it from some of us. And that's shameful. That is shameful. Like Gary. I was raised by two women, my mother and my grandmother. I have four daughters. So I'm very sensitive when I hear people talk about what women can't do because I've seen what women can do all my life. But I'm gonna tell y'all something, don't y'all ever give in to this crap. And I'm gonna tell you something else that's very disappointing to me. And Gary has mentioned it. Every time you talk about change, first thing that that the, comes out of the administration's mouth is, well, I we have to pass that by the union. Look, we are union folk, and I'm grateful for the union, but the union ain't to do all the say all for us. They're not to do all the say all. And I say that to say this when I retired from the fire department, I ran for city council in the city of Hoffman and was elected. I became the chair of public safety, I was in charge of the police and fire department. In my tenure, I have folks from the Emerald Society, from the, from the St. Florian Society, from the Latin Firefighter Society come to me with issues. Not once did a Phoenix Society member come before me and say, hey, Cap, this is what's going on, man. Not once. And I would go to meetings and say, now I know, see, I was about to cuss, but I'm very respectful, old time. I know doggone well what's going on and still going on in them firehouses. We got sisters catching hell, y'all catching hell, and I ain't heard from one of y'all yet. Cause all I gotta do is pick up the phone and call the chief. 
So we got to do a better job of looking out for one another, checking in from time to time, because these, I don't know how it is in other cities, but I know that in Hartford, all decisions are political decisions. All decisions are political decisions. Just like that, that old Irish captain told me when I came on, you took a job for my grandson. Every time we come on the job, they're looking for a way to get us off the job. But I want to say to the brothers that we got to do a better job of watching y'all back. All we got to do is watch it back because y'all are capable. Y'all are capable. All we got to do is make sure that we don't let them lean too much on you, that we back them off. Because you can get it done. You've already proven you can get it done. You did, you did the most, you did the hardest thing. You got on the job. And now you're fighting to stay on the job. So I just want to say to you, you know, find those, because I've heard you talk about female mentors. There's got to be some, some men on that job who you can go to. But sometimes we don't know. We don't know. I don't know. Just like I said, I've been retired for 25 years. I mean, I'm, I'm at my club every day, the Phoenix Club. No one ever pushes me. And says, you know, Steve, this is this is what's happening, man. What 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 can we do? Or what what can you do to help us? Or what what can the organ the organization do to help us? Hmm. All right. Well, thank you, Brother Harris. By yourself, don't don't. You know, to 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 Brother Harris' point, um, when I came on the job, George Bryant, my man, yeah, he my mentored man. me. And uh, he gave me a few pointers that really, really helped me out. And then uh, as time went on, there was a, a white captain who pulled me to the side. And the one piece of advice, because he, he just came out and said, I, I used to be, because he did something to rub them the wrong way. He said, I used to be one of the golden boys. He says, but I'm not anymore. But what I am going to tell you is don't let them get away with nothing. Press them on every issue. Press them. Because you have to make them do. They're not going to voluntarily do it on their own. So when you know the rules and regs, when you know, you, you got to know them because they don't. They assume them. They don't know them. So once you know the rules and regs and you know how to handle them, then when, when you come up against some stuff, then you do that. You, you, you put it in writing and you handle them. I'd also like to say one thing in regards to what uh, um, the brother, was, brother Harris was saying. Um, in my firehouse, my firehouse now, and even when I got on the job, Engine 234 uh, is pretty well known for having the most Black firefighters with Captain Paul Washington as our head. And when I first got on the job, you know, Captain Paul Washington, he had my back wholeheartedly. It's just those particular set of members, they didn't care whether he was a captain or not. And the regulations and the higher ups didn't back him, so it didn't matter, right? So at first, it was kind of just he and I kind of together fighting this firehouse that was half black, half white. Now, once 
the brother, because our house is pretty much a young house that the, the, I'm like second in line to be senior and I only have eight years. So everybody oh. at that time was pretty young. And so we didn't really know how to navigate uh, our careers at the time. We just knew that this wasn't right. So as more and more brothers started getting my back, you, you can see the numbers. I did, uh, because of all the stress with everything, I, I spent a good amount of my career on medical leave because I just, I could not handle it. There was, there was something that I just could not handle and would not handle because I had a daughter that I had to look after and that was my main priority. So as more and more brothers started backing me and if you look at the numbers where I wasn't on medical leave, I was always standing up for myself. And as more brothers started having my back, the problem people who were majority white people they started leaving the firehouse. They transferred out with the quickness. Every single time we spoke up, they started transferring out more and more. It, it, even to the point where a chief who was who's also part of the boys club, which most of them are, um, started making fake transfer transfer orders saying that their lives were endangered. They felt like they were <laughs> endangered or something like that, you know? So I will say, I'm so thankful for the women who had my back but it took all of them, all of us, the men as well, to have my back to really start seeing some change in that particular firehouse. And I think, man, if if our Black men really got behind our women and started sticking up and not making sure that that nonsense was not happening, was not flying, I think more of them would start transferring or more litigation would happen to make these things change. No, that's, that's in, it. well, I'm glad to hear that, that at some point, brother started standing with you because I did get a call one day um, from one of the members of the Phoenix Society. And it said to me, he said, hey, Cap, I just want to let you know, man, he just fired Nikki. Fired Nikki? He said, yeah. I said, this is like two weeks away, three weeks away from graduation. What do you mean they just fired her? They just fired her. I said, for what? Well, they said she was reading an inappropriate uh, a magazine uh, on a break. That's a, what do you mean? What, 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 what's an inappropriate, a, a, like a good housekeeping magazine? And the guy that fired her was the, was the drill master. And he didn't, for whatever reason, he didn't like Nikki. And again, I just, I was on council and the chief that allowed this to happen was a brother. So I said, okay, I, let, me, let, me, let me see what I can do. I got on the phone and I called the brother and I said, what's going on? Why did you let Nolan, what, what, how, how did Nolan wind up firing Nikki, you know, two, three weeks away from graduation from, 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 from uh, rookie school? Well, she was reading a good housekeeping magazine. Okay, on her break, well, it was lunch. So she's on her lunch hour reading a, a, a magazine in this racist, Deputy Chief walks in, sees that, and fires her for that. I said, Chief, let me tell you something, bro. If you don't put her back on the job, you're going to be looking for a job. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. When we have those seats of power, we have to use them. Come on here. Say it. Yeah. Well, no, you we know. have to use them. We have to, we have to right those wrongs. And my thing was, I, at this point, I don't give a shit. You could be purple. You let that happen to that sister. If she ain't back on, your chief stay gonna be short. 
Mm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks, we just we got about five minutes left. So I just want real quickly if we can do like uh, maybe one minute uh, person. I just I have one question. I'm start with Serena. Uh, from your perspective, what are any changes have you seen pertaining to systemic hurdles for women and women facing the fire service? What role does race and gender play? And then we'll go to uh, Anita and uh, Lisa pertaining to sexual harassment issues. Um, I think it was mentioned before about CPAT, like who makes CPAT, who makes our gear, who makes our rules, who makes everything that we do. It's, you know, it's historically been white men. So there's just blatantly going to be uh, discrimination. Our bunker gear is not made for women. We just wear smaller men's clothes. Um, it, and that leads to injury. Uh, we didn't have women's facilities, women's bathrooms until 2019. So for a long time in my career, I get detailed to other firehouses without women's bathrooms. You catch a job there and you're kind of screwed. Um, that happened to me. There was an explosion on 42nd Street and uh, we thought there was asbestos where we're responding and I couldn't shower like at the firehouse I was uh, detailed to. So there's just so much, like right now, even though we have women's bathrooms, we have issues where in the firehouses, all the, uh, most of the locker rooms are just open. So you're walking into like men who are changing. Um, there's just like, it's a very loaded question, Gary, just cause yeah, there's yeah. so much you can say with that question. Um, I did want to say earlier about CPAT that it is, um, depending on the department, because in New York City, we got CPAT and it actually helped us get diversity because um, before the test before was worse than CPAT. So there's always um, like layers of like where you are in your trajectory of what's good and what's um, useful or what can be improved upon. And I do wanna say about the conversation that was happening before, so important to have political power because once you go to the fire department and they tell you no, once you go to the city government and they tell you no, you can always go to the press, the media and just wield whatever. Um, you can have power in, you know, uh, you know, having being like knowing people in city council and things like that. But there is more power in us sticking together and us being that political power, us being that voice and saying, and advocating for ourselves and saying like, this is not right. Telling the public, you know, cause everything in the fire department is a secret. The, the public doesn't know what we're going through. Just telling them, listen, mm -hmm. this, this, this happens. This is a daily thing. Every time we go to work, people are horrified when you start saying that. And you can use that to embarrass the fire department, um, especially, you know, it, it tarnishes their reputation and they, they'll actually, hopefully like act to change some things. It might not change all the way, it might be marginal changes, but um, it's just something that you just have to, it's exhausting, but it's something you have to keep on doing. It's just applying that political pressure. Right, thank you. Uh, Lisa? For the sake of time, I don't wanna uh, monopolize. I wanna uh, defer to Anita because I know we don't have much time. So I'll- yeah. And I apologize for that. It's just, uh, yeah, we got to, we'll do a part two. <laughs> chief, I appreciate that so much. Um, and it's wonderful to see a black woman, Chief. I'm, I'm 
elated to see that. Um, and speaking on sexual harassment, uh, my story is that on July 7th of this year, um, a white captain as a power play grabbed my behind. Um, two weeks prior to the incident, he had discouraged, like a black woman candidate had came up to me and said like somebody was discouraging them. So come to find out it was this captain and I approached him about it. I said, look, you can't discourage uh, people, these candidates like this. And it's only her that has come up to me to say this. Like it clearly there's something going on. He tried to deny it or said that that's not what he meant. And I just kind of told him, look, that's not what we're gonna do here. She's gonna do X, Y, Z and that's that me being a firefighter, him being a captain, but I'm always gonna stand up for what's right. And then uh, a, week a week before the event, the incident, um, you know, they try to act like we're invisible, they don't see us. So myself and two other uh, black women firefighters were sitting um, basically in very close quarters to them, but they were only saying hi to the white members. So I reached out my hand to the black women who I already well know and said, hey, I'm firefighter Daniel, what's your name, what's your company? And we did that play. And you know, they, the room just kind of went silent. They were just kind of looking at us. So leading up to it, seeing the video because the incident was caught on video, this captain, Chris Lavolsi, um, he walks in with another captain and another firefighter, Captain Coleman, I believe his name is. And they're looking, their eyes are glued to me before he, before the incident, their eyes are just glued to me. As soon as he walks past and grabs my behind, they disperse, they walk away. And to me, knowing the fire department, especially in New York, the culture is just very, oh, I'm gonna put that person back in their place. And that's, they try to use so many different methods. This sexual harassment has been the first time that I've ever had to deal with this, but I know it's not the only I'm not the only woman to have dealt with it. And the fire department really does keep it under wraps and, and women being afraid to speak out about it makes it that much worse. Um, I will continue to advocate not only for myself, but for other women, because I know that after I leave the job, I need to know that the women behind me, the women who look like me, the women who I've helped get on this job are safe, not only physically, but mentally, spiritually. Like there should be no reason for someone to violate anyone's autonomy. Wow, um, I don't know. I don't know what to say after that. But that's that's this is you know it's the real world, and this is what uh, many of our, our female firefighters are dealing with. And uh, that being said, I, I just think you know even the folks that are on the panel right now uh, that we find a way to communicate with each other, and uh, not that we aren't, but with the young sister Daniels and uh, you know you talk about advice and how to how to survive the fire service the fire within I call it everybody thinks about that physical fire we got to think about that mental and that psychological fire that's just you know it's becoming more and more challenging in the departments across the country um, that being said before she usually she'll kick in and throw some music up there to put us out but if anybody has anything quick to say uh, please do and uh, again I thank you uh, I'm going to follow up and give you a call later on and uh, just see what else uh, we you know some of the subjects we should talk about and I will forward go ahead go ahead Gary no I'm sorry Vince, no and I, and I'll forward you the link also um, to the radio station and the, uh, and you could share it we share it on uh, on uh, social media and things of that nature. But again, thank Tom Ficklin and his uh, 
organization for allowing us to speak to this most important matter. Yeah. As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen I'm never quitting on my mission, I'ma roll with what I'm giving Got some ambition, this new edition, filling positions Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing Better watch the way you going, better go in the right direction In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings And I know that for certain, keep on working, open curtains Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version I'm never gon' give up, give up Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah Cause this is my road, less camera action, I 